and it's fun to be back up here. Last couple of weeks, I've been out there with you, uh, and it's been fun to hear Johnny and Brian uh, 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 share the word with us. Next Sunday, yes, Stephen will, Stephen will be doing it. We're, we're, I'll be up in Sacramento with, uh, with, with Drew and Jen and, and uh, some of the crew up, uh, uh, up, up there. Now, my wife and I have four kids, and I can tell you, we had uh, considerable hope that they would have ten fingers and ten toes, that they'd be able to hear, and that they'd be able to see. We're going to look at a story today. We're going to spend the whole time in one chapter, chapter 9. So somebody caught me before the service and said, uh, uh, so we're going to deal with a whole chapter, so you'll probably preach more briefly. I'm like, <laughs> that is funny. But we're looking at a story. We're going to look at the whole chapter because it's this account of this blind man. And I'm going to tell you, it's filled with encouragement. What I hope for us to see as we work through this, how the story builds in terms of what happened with Jesus and this blind man, but particularly how John, inspired by God, pulls this narrative apart. And I actually believe there's a crescendo as we go through this. And my hope is you'll experience that crescendo today. But we see Jesus' grace. We see Jesus' love. Ah, ah. It is a great text. So I don't care where you are today. You're still figuring this out. Welcome to you folks online. Hope you're having a good morning. If, if you're still figuring out whether Jesus is the guy, ah, this story is going to give you oh, a look again at, at Jesus. If you're early in the journey with Jesus, here's my conviction. This account will help us move closer to him Help us to embrace him a little more tightly. And if you've been walking with Jesus forever, oh man, this encourages our heart in terms of what we've been experiencing for a long time and continues to ignite that fire for who he is. Now, John tells this narrative about the healing of the blind man. It's actually six separate conversations that he records. So what I'm going to do this morning is we're going to pull them apart conversation by conversation by conversation. So we're going to look at six conversations. And what I'm going to do is give you a quick summary of what's said in each conversation. And then we're going to read through the text as we go, if that makes sense. So let's start with the first conversation is between Jesus and the disciples. And it sets up the whole rest of the narrative and what happens. And there's a ton dumped on us when Jesus hangs out with the knuckleheads. First thing we're going to see is Jesus saw the blind man. I think this is significant. And then the disciples ask, well, what caused this man's blindness? And Jesus can explain God had a purpose. I'm going to tell you as a parent, I don't necessarily love this one. Try to imagine what those parents lived with. But here's what Jesus wants us to see. God who is sovereign in all things had a plan. And that was ultimately that his grace, his glory might be displayed. If I'm those parents, 
I'm like, pick somebody else. We all have work to do. And Jesus healed him. Okay, so before we jump into the text, man, we got to stop. I, I, you maybe notice I pray before I preach. I can't believe you all give me the privilege. I just think this is absurd that you allow me to tell you about Jesus. But nothing happens unless Jesus and his Holy Spirit work. So, Father, I pray that you would work to help us see your glory. I pray, pray that what you were doing there with this blind man would be our experience today. And I pray as he saw your glory and your love and your grace displayed, I pray we would have that same experience today as we read about what your son did. But for the truth of this to actually impact our heads, our hearts, our souls, can't do it, Father. Pray you'd keep me from getting in the way. But we need your spirit to touch our minds, to touch our hearts. Increase our faith. Help us on the journey from wherever we are to move forward today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the first conversation, who is it with? Jesus and the disciples. Now, maybe people weren't listening. I didn't communicate, but yes, thank you, David. And as he passed by, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, this is a culture in which, and we're going to see here, it's assumed that he or his parents had sinned. These are the people that you tried not to look at. These are the people you tried to ignore. These are the people you didn't even want to acknowledge. So just start here. I love this Jesus. He passed by and he saw a guy that the general culture doesn't want anything to do with. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? The theology of the day. If things aren't going well, you messed up and God is punishing you. Let me tell you, it still feels like a fairly prevalent theology today. Life gets hard. We hit the crud. It's not that we don't bear some responsibility for the choice we made, but I wonder what I did to tick God off. <sighs> Jesus is going to correct it. Jesus answered, it was not, this, not that this man sinned or his parents. What everybody in that world thought including probably the blind man and his parents lived with this. What did we do that we caused this? But that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I could preach a 10-part sermon on that series and still not cover it all on that verse. God had a point. God had a plan. He's an adult. We don't know exactly how old. But these parents having to live with it and raise a blind son and the blind man having to live with it. There was a plan that the glory of God might be displayed. 
I said it earlier, and in, in case you were, were dozing off, if I'm those parents, I would say, pick somebody else's kid. And then Jesus says something here that catches me off guard. So when we're reading stuff, stuff that doesn't quite fit, I usually stop and I have to figure it out. But it's so that to display the work of God. Now, who in this text is going to display the work of God? This is where you can answer out loud, and it encourages me. Who, who's going to display the work of God? Jesus. Unmistakably. But right after that, notice what Jesus says. Because I think this is a theme running through this and through the book that we don't want to miss. We must work the works of him who sent me. We. Not just me, but we. While it is day, night is coming, the crucifixion, when no one can work. And he's not saying you're not going to work after the crucifixion, but his emphasis right now is we are here to display the, the work of God. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He's already conveyed that. And then having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. With, with the saliva. And then he anointed, anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And again, which means sent. So I go again, why does he translate this? You could have just said he's from the, the pool of Siloam. Because I think John has lots of themes in here and we're going to look at them. One of which the disciples have work to do. They're ultimately going to be the sent ones. He sends this guy to the pool that's called sent. Now I'm going to tell you, the hero of this story is the blind man. I'll give you a hint. The blind man's life is changed and he responds accordingly. So go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. I try to imagine what it was like for that guy when he goes and washes the mud off his eyes. And for the first time in his life, he sees the world. Why? that the work of God might be displayed. For a lot of years, he and his parents and those who know, knew him had to live with this challenge. First conversation, a ton revealed there. Then the second conversation is the blind man and his neighbors because the word spreads. Now he can see a miracle has happened so they ask him, are you the blind man? Let's make it clear, because they're not seeing this happen every day. How did you come to see? Now, you see that last bullet there? I want you, as we go through the text, to notice how many times, and for those of you who are watching at home on the screen, you're welcome. You no longer have to look at me. The rest of you here, you're stuck. Those people at home right now are going, hey, this works better when we don't have to see his face. The rest of you, don't miss this. There's going to be a theme as John goes through this 
of the blind man testifying to this. Jesus changed my life. Jesus healed me. So neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar, John adds another piece of data. Not only was he born blind and dealing with all those difficulties, it's not as though his family is taking care of him. He's having to live out on the streets on his own. And they were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Because they know he was blind. And some says it is and others says no, but he is like him. There's a big enough community. Again, how do you explain this? Because people born blind don't just wake up one day and all of a sudden see. So we got to figure out what happened. And he, the blind man, kept saying, that's me. I'm the man. I'm the guy that was blind since birth. And so they said to him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus. Here's the first time. Did he know what Jesus looked like yet? No idea. He's testifying simply to what he does know. The man called Jesus, made mud, and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. This Jesus changed my life. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Now this is where the story, remember I told you it was a crescendo? This is now where it's starting to pick up a little momentum. Here's where it's starting to really get interesting. So how did you come to see? It's the blind man now and the Pharisees. How did you come to see? Well, he tells them the same thing he told the neighbors. This is a really important piece of the story. And then, of course, the Pharisees, what do they tell him? Jesus can't be from God. Uh-uh. I think you're mistaken, Pharisees. I'm pretty confident based upon what happened to me. Mm, I'd bet the farm on this one. Jesus is actually from God. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had, been, who had formerly been blind. I, I don't think they necessarily have illicit motives. The Pharisees and the leaders, they're the ones that are going to help him sort out what happened. He was blind and now he sees and this Jesus was a key in it. You religious leaders, help us sort out what happened. Feels like to me. They're just bringing him there, not to get him in trouble. They're just, they're just trying to sort out what happened. I mean, to some degree, sometimes people come to me to ask about stuff. I don't know. It's not that wise, is it, Johnny? We've had lots of conversations. Now, here's where John gives us the commentary to fill it in. Now, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. We already, if we've been reading through John, know it's not good when Jesus heals people on the Sabbath. This stinking ticks the Pharisees off because they've all had all these rules that have nothing to do with the Old Testament about what godliness looks like. 
They got all these rules that just don't fit. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. Now, I don't think they're asking him a second time. John, as he tells the narrative, the man is just being asked again, now by the Pharisees, it was before thy neighbors, by the neighbors, asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to him, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. So some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the rules that we made up that have nothing to do with the Old Testament, but make us feel good about who we are. That last part is not actually in the text. You guys understand, I just added that. That was just Todd's personal commentary. This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? John's trying to tell us they're wrestling with it and they're trying to sort this out. And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? You were blind. Now you see. Who do you think he is? He's from God. Now think about who this guy is. Overlooked at best. More more likely despised by the people. And presumed in their errant, wrong theological construct that he was a sinner. And he's standing before who? the religious leaders, and they're saying he is not from God. Who do you say he is? Where is he from? This man's a prophet. The pressure that he was under to yield, to fold like a cheap suit, Remember what he told the disciples? We have work to do. The man went to what pool to wash it off? Sent. Where is he from? Without hesitation, he is from God. So then we move to the blind man. And blind man's parents and the Pharisees. You gotta love this as John tells the story. Was your son born blind? How does he now see? He is our son, they tell him, the Pharisees, but he was born blind, but we have no idea what he, how he was healed. Don't ask us. Don't ask us to testify. Hold him completely accountable. Not us. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until, John in the commentary tells us, they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. This actually convinced him and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son. We're really confident about that. We know for sure that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. Now given what's going on in the narrative and how many people know about what happened already, 
what are the odds that they haven't yet heard? I don't want to express no grace to these parents. They'd had a challenging life, particularly in that day, with a son with this disability. But I can't get past what did that blind man feel when his parents responded like this? He lived with blindness his whole life. He's experienced this miracle. And then his parents say, we don't know what happened. Life is hard. This guy faced a lot of challenges. Part of what John wants us to see. And then John, as he narrates this, tells us his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said of him, he is of age, ask him. In case we're wondering their motive. Because if there's anybody who should have appreciated the significance of this miracle, if there's anybody that ought to be able to see the power of what's trying to be conveyed here beyond the blind man himself, should be his parents. If the extraordinary magnitude of what Jesus has just done should touch anyone, we'd expect it to be his parents. So then the blind man and Pharisees too. Now we're going to build to the last conversation, but I just will tell you, I'm going to give you a hint already. As a guy who loves sarcasm, I love this conversation. And I think there's all kinds of justification for sarcasm in this text. And yes, I will stop and point to it. Remember who we're talking to. The blind man who the Pharisees wouldn't have even stopped to acknowledge. And now this blind man is testifying to the religious leaders about Jesus. God works in the craziest of ways. This guy who would have been at the bottom of the cultural ladder now testifies before the highest religious leaders. 
God is nuts the way he does things. He does things so atypically. Don't praise Jesus, he is a sinner, the Pharisees are going to tell him. I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I do know this. He healed me. You should know where he comes from, he says to the Pharisees. You're wrestling where he comes from? He healed me. I think that's incontrovertible evidence that you guys are unwilling to consider. And he gets kicked out. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Stop lifting up the name of Jesus. Quit giving him credit for healing you. When you do that, because he's a sinner, because he healed you on the Sabbath, you're actually diminishing God's glory. So knock it off. And he answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. I actually don't know that much about him at this point. But one thing I do know, I love this phrase, that though I was blind, now I see. changed my life. So I've got to, in the best sense of it, I have to testify to my experience. I lived my whole life and couldn't see. And they, if you read the narrative, they actually believed that something miraculous had happened. But they refused to acknowledge Jesus. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now we're getting to that part I alluded to earlier. And just so you wouldn't miss it, I put it in blue. <laughs> and he answered them. I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You guys want to become his disciples? You guys want to start following him like I'm going to follow him? Is that what you guys want to do? <laughs> Don't miss this. He knows exactly how they feel. And does he give them an account of how Jesus did this? Does he repeat it? No. Because they really didn't want to hear it. Not the significance of it anyway. So I know sarcasm does a lot of damage. You guys know my rule. I will never convey a serious message through sarcasm. For me, sarcasm, the way you operate in the staff and in my family, has to be 100% to get a laugh. 
because it can be misinterpreted. This guy goes farther than I do. He uses sarcasm to communicate a message. To the best of my ability, I've committed to not doing that. But these guys aren't seeing the truth. And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We're disciples of God, the giver of the law. You're not based upon your lifting up Jesus. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. This blind guy, he is good. I don't know about you, but as best I can put myself in that situation, I'd be tempted to just accept. I said my piece, I've testified, we're at an impasse, let's just agree to disagree. He ain't done. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. How do you not know where he comes from? My parents have been in here, we've testified. I was blind and this guy made me see. Why are you guys having a hard time? The bottom rung in the culture, standing up boldly to those religious leaders. You do not know where he comes from? <laughs> and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So you guys can't figure out who he is or where he's from? The evidence is glaringly, obnoxiously in your face. And yet you won't look at it. And they answered him, I think, pretty predictably, given what John has revealed about the Pharisees thus far. You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. You feel the crescendo? We're about to get to the top of the crescendo, the climax. The last conversation is the blind man in Jesus. Now, does he know what Jesus looks like yet? Not until now. You believe in the Son of Man, Jesus asked him. You believe that there's a Messiah coming. The guy is going to, after Jesus reveals who he is, he's going to believe and worship. Then John's going to end this passage by quoting Jesus, and here's what he wants us to see. Recognizing our blindness is a key to actually seeing. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? You believe there's a Messiah. And a formerly blind man answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Because I get this, you're from God. He hasn't figured out Jesus is the guy yet. He just knows he's from God. He doesn't know much more. 
But do you believe there's a Messiah promised in the Old Testament? He says, yes, I do. And you're a prophet? Would you tell me who he is? And then you got this interaction, right? This is the first time he's ever seen Jesus. And Jesus said to him, you've seen him. You're looking at him. You are physically blind right now, but physically right now, you are looking at the Son of Man. Try to imagine what it was. First of all, he can see physically. Now he's going to be able to see spiritually. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. I believe you are the son of man. I believe you are the promised one. I believe you are the Messiah. And he did what anybody does who recognizes that Jesus is that guy. We praise him in joy. We worship and we celebrate who he is. He was physically blind. That's not the most important part of the story. The most important part of the story is he got to see spiritually. He got physical healing. Way more important, folks. He got spiritual healing. This was a very good day for this guy. Now, if I'm writing the text, let me tell you, I just end here. I stop preaching, the band cranks up, and we just praise Jesus. That's how I'd have written it. It's not how Jesus and John ended. Healed physically, healed spiritually. Nothing better. That's not... The end of the story. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Now I had to read this last three verses about two or three times and think through it before I finally got, because we got a combination of metaphors being here put together. You with me? So I'm going to go through it fairly quickly. And maybe you got it instantly, but I had to read it and go, huh, what does he mean here? For judgment I came into this world. Some of us might see that as a contradiction to John 3.17, for I didn't come into the world. It's not a contradiction. Jesus came into the world to save us. But the other side of that coin is that people do get, get condemned if they don't treasure him. So if you think it's a, con a contradiction of John 3.17, I'm going to encourage you to go back and read verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 18 and 19 too. He came to save. Flip side of that coin is people get judged. That those who do not see may see. That those who recognize they're blind. Did the man know he was physically blind? Did anybody have to convince him of that? And here's where it gets a little trickier with spiritual things. We got to know that we're spiritually blind before we can actually spiritually see. So that those who do not see, who acknowledge their spiritual blindness, their spiritual need, may see. 
They'll see me, and they will come out of their spiritual blindness to sight. And those who see, those who are convinced they're not spiritually blind, those who are convinced they're okay and they don't have any problems, eh, you know what? They're going to actually stay blind. Now he's talking to the Pharisees. They're the people that are convinced they are the light and they see everything. He's trying to help them see, you guys can't acknowledge and recognize your spiritual blindness. This is really going to be bad. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, so are we also blind? Now we got to follow the metaphor here. Jesus is trying to say, recognizing our spiritual blindness is a blessing. Are they blind to the truth of who he is? Yes. But blindness here is a good thing. So some of the Pharisees, are we also blind? Not in the good sense. Not in the sense that allows you to see light. I wish you'd recognize your blindness. I'm trying to point out your blindness. The blind man who was healed by me is trying to point out your blindness, but you can't see it. You're so convinced you're right. So Jesus said to them, if you were blind, if you actually recognize your blindness, you would see me and then you would have no more guilt. But now that you say we see, you don't recognize your spiritual blindness, your guilt remains. Blindness. Recognizing our spiritual blindness is a blessing. So takeaways. Let's live thanking Jesus for seeing each of us and empowering us to recognize our blindness so that we might actually see him. Because here's the reality. For anybody to see the light of the world, the key is recognizing our own blindness recognizing we're in trouble. Now, Brian used a metaphor I really liked last week. For those of you who are here, he talked about, again, the text where Jesus says, hey, if you follow me, you don't have to ever be afraid of spiritual death. He showed this, he talked about this picture of us hanging by the cliff, hanging by our fingers, ready to fall into this abyss, abyss, spiritual death. And I love that metaphor. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Those folks who have that experience recognize their need, the depth of their need. For me, it happened in my early 20s. I happened to be in seminary. But it it was where I could have told you I was hanging from the cliff. I just never felt it. And as I worked through this theology, I actually got to the point where I felt like I was hanging on the cliff. And not only was I hanging on the cliff with hell below me and eternal death below me, but I got to the point where I go, he should let me fall. There's no reason he shouldn't let me fall. My guilt, his holiness, he should let me fall. Once I not only could argue that in my head, but when I felt that, I looked up and I saw Jesus standing on the edge of the cliff with a concerned, loving smile. I'm hanging on by the edge. 
and he reaches down. I get to see the nails in his hand because that's what gives him the, 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 the right to do this. He reaches down and he grabs me by the shirt and he just rips me up and puts me on top of the cliff. Well, you know what I've done ever since that day? I cling to that stinking Jesus. We live in a messed up world, a lot for us to be concerned about. Let me tell you, there ain't anything as significant as hanging on the edge of that abyss. Nothing. We want to be involved in the world. We want to stand for Jesus' principles. But there ain't nothing more important than being on the edge of the abyss, looking up and going, oh my, he grabs us, pulls us up, and then we just cling to him. And some of us are going, it happened to me 30 years ago. It's not that exciting today. <sighs> Keep spending time with Jesus. My life was transformed back then. 40 years later, I appreciate it more today than I did back then. I understand it more today. But it was for me, blind and now I see there isn't anything more important than that so if you're still trying to figure that out if you've not had that experience of hanging by the edge of the cliff my encouragement to you is keep reading John keep growing in your understanding of who God is come talk to me somebody else around here then say Lord help me experience that you can't ever look at the world the same way. It's just nothing is consequential. Live convinced that God uses us in all of our circumstances to display himself. And I've already gone way too long, so I'm going to deal with this one quickly. I already talked about those parents and that blind man for whom, how many years lived with it. God's involved in all of our circumstances. He wants to glorify himself through our response Maybe sometimes by healing us. I get people that I hear every once in a while, you know, oh, that was a God thing. So is the crap. He's liking it all. And I don't want to dismiss our grateful to him, to him when he changes our circumstances and makes them work. But he's in the hard stuff too. And the way he wants to, us to do his work then is just by trusting him in the midst of the hard stuff that causes grief and pain. What allows us to find joy in the midst of the pain of this world? Let me go back. We were on the edge of the cliff about to fall and Jesus grabs us and pulls us up. That being the most important element in our life is part of what allows us to trust him in all that other stuff. Let's live lovingly attentive to those with any kinds of needs. The world is broken. Everybody around us has needs. We have needs. If we treasure Christ, our greatest need has been met. But whatever they look like, the guy that's at the street corner looking for a donation, the neighbor driving a BMW whose politics, <laughs> whose social views, <laughs> We're in a world full of people with need. Let me assure you, there is no end to it. Let's be lovingly attentive. Whatever their need, however it's manifest. 
that we might help them not have to hang onto the ridge of the, the cliff. And let's leave bravely promoting the healing that comes with Jesus alone. We got work to do. He went from the pool called sent. And what did he do? Jesus healed me. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, but I can tell you this. I was blind and now I see. You don't know where he's from? Let me tell you. He healed me. You religious leaders, I guarantee you he slapped his head when he was talking to him. What are you guys thinking? We just testify to our experience. It's all Jesus ever wants from us. That's it. No more, but no less. Then let's live not expecting everyone to embrace Jesus or us based upon our testimony. His parents before the Pharisees don't ask us. Can't imagine how much that must have hurt this young man. Can't imagine. When he goes before the Pharisees a second time, did it dissuade him or discourage him or diminish his passion for the clarity of the message that he was promoting? Not a stinking bet. So we're going to enjoy Jesus. We were on the edge of the cliff, and then he grabbed us, pulled us up, and now we're hugging him. And we're doing our best to help other people see they can enjoy that same thing. But we're not going to expect him necessarily to get it. Is that going to discourage us from continuing on to boldly share his love? No. Disappoint us? Sure. But no. Discourage us? Why was it? How would it discourage us? Folks, we were blind. Now we see. Thanks, Lord, for loving us. Thanks for giving us this story. Probably would have been better if you'd helped me preach faster or more brief. But I pray that you'd use these words from your word to encourage us in your grace. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for rescuing us. Oh, Father, thanks for healing us. Lots of things physically, through doctors, whatever. But, Father, we praise you for healing us spiritually. We praise you for empowering us to recognize our spiritual blindness. Because we can't really see until we understand we're blind. So thank you, Father, for changing our lives.